right, everybody, welcome to another episode of Flagship Freedom. Today, we have a very special guest, Kristen Jones, a former student intern at YAL, Young Americans for Liberty, has a story to tell us. Uh, now, unfortunately, it's a story that doesn't quite have a happy ending. So Kristen is here to share some of the rather worrisome uh, experiences that she had at her time at Yale and uh, basically why that's important, why we should care, and uh, what's next. So Kristen, thanks so much for joining us today. Yes, thank you for having me. All right, so real quick, before we jump in, I just want to, I always like to give the viewers an explanation, you know, why should they care? Why is this important? Like, I'm not one to get into politics and drama and all that crap, but I do care about the message of liberty and the energy of, uh, well, the youth who, who as you know, uh, are the powerhouse behind these, dare I say, radical political movements. Uh, so it's very important that their energy is being harnessed properly and they're not being exploited, lied to, etc. So for those who don't know, YAL is supposedly the largest, most active, and fastest growing pro-liberty organization on America's college campuses. They have over 300,000 youth activists. Uh, I was actually contacted and requested to start up a chapter at uh, my school uh, when I was an undergrad, but I declined because I prefer to stick to principle, hardcore principle, but that's just me. Anyways, uh, so Kristen, why don't we just jump into your story? That's kind of what I'm interested in, you know, what happened, why it's important, uh, and what you make of the entire thing. Well, I would say it's important because uh, if you are any type of liberty-minded person, you got into this to get out of the corruption, to get out of the lies, to get out of the deceit, and get the message of liberty across. And when you have a bunch of college students who are young, who are fresh, who are passionate, uh, coming to an organization hoping to grow their experience and uh, grow their um, resume, you they they get yell perverts that entire thing and it makes them um basically leads them into republican uh establishment politics instead of liberty so that is why that's important um my story basically starts with when i when I found out about the opportunity um i was a part of yell in my undergrad as well um and i was able to get a campaign position on Ron Paul's 2012 primary uh, run. And subsequently from there, I've worked on 20 plus campaigns and all liberty, libertarians or independents. And that's what the message was uh, seven years ago when I was part of that, about six, seven years ago. Um, now it is completely different. And I didn't know that yet because I hadn't been a part of it. When I started grad school, I, I saw that, um, oh, my campus has still has Yale. I wanted to get involved. I hadn't gone to any meetings yet, but as soon as I got onto the Facebook page, I saw a posting about applying for a field rep position in Michigan. And I had lived in Michigan previously, and I am actually still a Michigan voter. So I was really excited to learn about the opportunity. Um, when I, I applied and I immediately got a phone call, uh, the next day from Justin Grace, who is the, I believe the mobilization director, the person who gets people for these positions. And he interviewed me and that's the first time I found out what we'd be doing. 
and we would be canvassing, um, collecting signatures for a part-time legislature initiative to go on the ballot. And as someone who is a libertarian and in principle and um, you know all other forms, I, oh my gosh, I was so excited. Um, Michigan's only one of nine states that has a full-time legislature. They're the fourth highest paid. And it just sounded like, wow, what a really good idea to at least bring a little bit of liberty to Michigan. So I was super excited. Um, and then that's when Grice also informed me that we'd be working with a very popular, prominent um, liberty elected uh, official in Michigan. And as most people know, that is where Justin Amash is. Um, he, that's, he, he represents the third district in Michigan. So I gasped <laughs> and I was like, oh my gosh, is it Justin Amash? And he said, well, um, I can't say yet. And you know, um, you'll have to see, but you won't be disappointed. Uh, I know that wasn't him telling me yes, but the way that he said it and the tone that he said it in made me feel like that's who it would be. Um, so I was really excited. And then you know, I had five days basically to get all of my stuff in order. I have my own home, pets, everything. So I got everything in order as quick as I could um, and went to Michigan. And uh, we met up in Mackinac City, which is the very tippy top of Michigan. And I found out that there was a hundred of us and we all came from, you know, um, probably at least 30 states, people all the way from California, from down in Florida, all, everybody came together for this. Um, I was greeted by Justin Grace personally and Cliff Maloney, who is the president of Yale. And they were very enthusiastic. They were just, you know, you're ready to make the Liberty win. And, you know, it just, it gave you excitement it made you feel like oh my gosh i'm i'm in the right movement i'm doing the right thing and i'm with people who are just as excited as i am so um immediately we got um a like a little orientation as we all staggered in um saying you know they gave us a piece of paper with our schedule for the next day asking us not to post anything on media or on social media because they wanted things to be secret so that way we could have a big bang when we when we announced what we were doing. And that all made sense to me at the time. So um, they got us, you know, all together um, the next morning for kind of like a uh, training day. Um, they gave us paperwork, um, they gave like a, a contract, um, they gave us a tax form to fill out, of course, and that was, uh, mm -hmm. we were independent contractors. And um, from there, we, like we went through the contract one, like one by one, they had our hours listed, which would be 11 AM to 8 PM, no exceptions, what our pay would be gas cards for the people that were going to be driving around uh, the state of Michigan, how, like when they would get them, how they would get them and uh, so forth. Part of the um, equation was a non-disclosure agreement. Um, I thought that was kind of interesting that they had a non-disclosure agreement, but I went through it and basically um, the gist I got was, you know, not to disclose what we were doing until May 30th, which is when we announced what we were doing. So yeah, I signed it. Well, um, from there, we went over basically how we were going to do what we were doing. We were going to be door knocking 
and going door to door using an app called i360, which um, if some people, some people may not know this, but that was developed by the Koch brothers for Republican data mining. And I thought that was kind of weird because the only time I had ever had experience with that is when we, I was in a uh, campaigning for Ron Paul in a closed primary state and needed Republican data. So I thought that was kind of interesting, but again, I was with Yao. Why, why not trust them? So um, they told, yeah, we were going to go door to door. And mind you, I have, I live in the state of Ohio. Um, we have a problem every two years with ballot access for libertarians, and I do a lot of signature gathering. And it's never efficient to go door to door. It's more efficient to do events. And so I thought that was kind of weird. Um, but, you know, again, I, I trusted them. So the next day we went to Mackinac Island. We all got on the ferry um, with Yale leadership, um, like Justin Grice and Cliff Maloney. They still had not told us um, who was going to be behind this. We still, all of us were talking about, um, oh my gosh, can't wait to meet Justin Amash. Uh, we all got ready and we're just really excited. Um, we got there and we were told to hand out flyers to people on the island to come to this big media announcement. Um, it was still didn't have any information on it. So then we were given instructions to go into a restaurant, which this Liberty official, uh, elected official would be giving the announcement and pack it in our plain clothes. Um, so there's a hundred of us in there, it gives a big presence. So um, then after the person was done speaking, we were to go back, get some t-shirts, which we had not, had not seen, and then put those on and then rally behind the person speaking. So well, I'm sorry oh, to interrupt you. Uh, so already uh, a whole lot of secrecy. Is this what people refer to as AstroTurf movements? Like it's it's like a manufactured crowd. Is is that a fair characterization? I mean, I don't do politics. I don't do this kind of stuff at all. So it's just a lot of really fishy stuff So already. Yes, yes, that is exactly what it is. And I've never experienced that per se in um, the many campaigns I've worked on. And I've worked on Gary Johnson's campaign and Ron Paul's campaign. Those are the two most prominent. And they never needed anything manufactured because we were passionate enough to be there on our own. Um, but I, you know, the way they had it told to us was, you know, this is how, um, you know, this is how we're going to make such a big impact. We want a lot of people, so that way it, it's in, it seems important in people's minds, and it it made sense when they're saying it from the position they're saying it in. They're they're coming from um, a liberty group, so you just have that already uh, trust with them. So you don't question them like you would question any other um, party or any other movement. You, I, it was you know a failed judgment on my part, but. You just you just trusted them, so it was it would be iffy in your mind for a second, but then the thought of oh well this is Yao would pop back in your mind and you and it calmed me yeah, down. Yeah, they're just playing the game. They're trying to win, you know, by the same tactics everyone else is, you know, playing yeah. politics basically is what I'm getting. Yes, and I um, and I have never liked that anyway, but you know, um, I, I didn't know exactly what was going on yet, so maybe you know who knew what was going to happen. Maybe this is what was needed. Who we didn't get have any information until like the second we needed the information. So um, we're in this restaurant, a hundred of us plus other uh, media and um, people that were already on the island as tourists. 
And then we see someone come up to the stage, and it was Lieutenant Governor Brian Kelly. And not many people, there was probably five or six people that were actually from Michigan at that current time that were there. And um, there was also myself who had lived in Michigan, and I've worked in Michigan politics uh, while I was there for five years. So I'm very familiar with Lieutenant Governor Brian Kelly, and I um, am not a fan. That is the nicest way I can say that. Um, he was instrumental in getting a gas tax hike through to fix the roads, and you know how us libertarians like to view the road situation. Mm. So <laughs> I would not consider him a liberty leader. So you, I just watching him speak and present this part-time legislature was disheartening. It was, oh my gosh, you know, is this is this who it is? And then I thought for a second, again, well, this is Yao. Maybe this is the, the, Justin Amash is coming on after him. Who knows? Um, I thought maybe that was the case, but it wasn't. After he was done speaking, um, that's when Grice started leading a chant, clean it up, clean it up, because the initiative is called Clean Michigan Government. And um, so everyone's chanting this, and then we go back to get the T-shirts, which were bright blue shirts that said Callie's Cleanup Crew. And I just... Oh, gosh, it was very hard for me to even put that shirt on. But, you know, that was my job. So I did so. And you were getting paid to do this, right? Yes, yes. Um, $750 every, um, like, 14 days, which is not a lot of money at all. And I'd make way more money if I wouldn't have went at my other job. But this it wasn't about the money. If I lived in Michigan, I would have done this for free because I believe in the initiative. But... Um, Yes, we were definitely paid to do this. That's, that was part of the reason why they had so many people there. Um, so we were told to put on the shirt, and then they wanted everyone to stand um, kind of around Cali and, while the media was there. And, of course, uh, they went and handpicked people to be in front, and that happened to be women and um, the few minorities that were there. And mm -hmm. I, I noticed this because I thought, it, I'm like, oh, my gosh, what a, what a move that, you know, every – um, other mainstream establishment politics makes <laughs> like uh, let's put the right. We're not just all white males, so we promise. I mean, not yeah. that I care. I couldn't give a shit, but I know that a lot yeah, of people I, do. Yeah, yeah, a lot of people do, and that's what they were doing. And I thought that was kind of funny. Um, however, since I knew who this person was, I stood completely out of the way because I did not want to be um, in any pictures with him. And mind you, a rumor had been going around Michigan that he was going to be announcing a run for governor. And um, I already have uh, loyalty to Patrick Colbeck, who's running for governor. He is a Liberty candidate. And I, if I want, I, I want a position on his campaign and I want to advocate for him. And if I'm in a picture standing next to Cali with a Cali cleanup crew shirt on it, that's not going to look good because people aren't going to know that I, that's not what I wanted to be doing. So I stayed far away from those pictures. Um, that, and then that's when we were told that we were going to be marching <laughs> behind Cali, like a, basically a protest march through the streets of Mackinac uh, Island and chanting, clean it up, and USA, while the press were following, or they were in front. Cali was in front of a big banner, and we were behind that, and it, it was just, it was so um, ma manufactured completely, and it was, it, it was ridiculous, but you didn't have time to think, really, about is this really okay? Because it was just so quick moving and they didn't give us any information. Um, and like, and again, at least, you know, only maybe one or 2% of us knew who he was ahead of time. 
And, and what a place to do it. Mackinac Island, the most peaceful, quaint little village of an island. And here you have a, a political parade. Uh, anyways. Yep. yep. And it was it, it was just absolutely um it it was just kind of overwhelming of like how do I how should I feel about this? But um it wasn't until we all got back to the hotel, people started Googling, oh I wonder who Callie is. They found out, um because it was announced obviously that he was the lieutenant governor, they found out a little bit about him and um who like he that how establishment he was and people started be you know, asking questions like why is he behind this? And we had leadership saying, Oh, don't worry, we just needed someone to be the face so we could have media exposure. So that way people know to vote for this and people know to sign the petitions and he is um, you know, the he's a prominent face. And we were like and we a lot of people said, Well, it online it says that he's thinking about running for governor and we were told, We don't know anything about that. We don't know if he is or not. That's not that has nothing to do with this. That um he's just the face of this and granted, he has advocated for this before with Justin Amash uh, when he was in the state legislature. Um, it was just odd timing um, because that's you know, this month is when all of the gubernatorial candidates had been, had started announcing themselves. So um, we kind of just kind of felt sketchy, um, but we were just completely reassured. Like he's just the face of this. We just needed, you know some some media attention this is how we got it and then we were told okay we're going to be um going door to door here in mackinac city it wasn't on the island it was on the, in the city and uh that's kind of weird because it's it's a very uh vaca like vacation hometown and it's may there's nobody going to be home um we still did that though um we went door to door got a few signatures here and there and our walk books with the i360 app had not been ready yet. So we just went door to door. Um, once our walkbooks were ready, that's when it got like really sketchy. Um, they took us to Indian River, which is a very rural area, um, heavily Republican though, but very rural area. And I'm talking houses where from a half mile to three quarters of a mile apart sometimes, long driveways. Um, and we were skipping over houses because we were targeting Republicans. And so you're walking a very long way in the middle of nowhere. A lot, you know, a lot of people didn't have service, didn't know, like, what, are, what is going on? And we were told, um, you know, basically go up, uh, knock on the door, tell them you're a student volunteer with the Clean My Government campaign um, and ask survey questions. And the survey questions started, it started almost kind of innocent, asked, are you a Republican or Democrat? Um, and no matter what the person answered, that's when you would uh, go to the next set of questions, which was what issues were most important to you, had a list of five or six issues, and then if, if they want to sign the petition, and then if they want to give their email and phone number. And now as a libertarian, I never ask the last questions because I don't want to put people on mailing lists. So I never asked that question, but you know we were instructed to do so. Um, after a few days there and... Um, a lot of people being really upset about how, you know, sp like sparse the houses were. Um, they were like, okay, the, we'll figure it out. That's when we were moved to all the way down to uh, the Detroit area. And we started out 
in Romulus, which is where the Detroit airport is. That's, you know, um, that's actually where I used to live. It's the downriver area. And so we're down, we're down there and it's much more densely populated. Um, and we were, you know, kind of excited at, Hey, Oh my gosh, these houses are next to each other. This is going to be nice. And then we looked in the, um, the survey questions and there was a new question that was in there. And after they asked if it was the Republican or Democrat, if they asked, if they answered Republican, the question was, if the Republican primary for governor was held today, who would you vote for? And there was Callie's name. And Callie was one of a few options. Shooty was an option, and so was Quebec. And I was immediately was like, I, I knew it. Like I knew this had something to do with Callie. And my, my suspicions were confirmed. Um, a lot of people were kind of, sketched out about it and we asked questions we said well if he's not running for governor and that's when it kept getting reiterated that well you know he's he's paying for it this is this is his initiative um okay so now he's paying for it he's not just the face he's he's you know they're they're paying for this okay um and you know we have to collect the data collect the data collect the data that that was number one for a while um so you know um we were we were asking. Well, you guys told us he we didn't you didn't know if he was running for governor, and but it, he's listed as an option. Well, we didn't choose the survey questions. That's what we were told. And honestly, I believed our our leaders, um, our field directors. They, I mean, yeah. all of them were younger than myself, and they probably didn't um, know a lot of stuff either. So I just believed them. Um, so once we got like into it a little bit and heard other people like at the door say, Oh, this is Callie's thing. Absolutely not slam the door in our faces, Republicans and Democrats alike. Um, because a lot of us wouldn't just, we wouldn't skip over houses. We did knock on doors and just ask if they're a registered voter because we wanted signatures. That's we were here for a part-time legislature, not for Callie. Um, it, it started to look more and more like this was a PR campaign for Callie especially when you realize how many people hated Kelly <laughs> and he needed something good to have his face on. His face was on our pamphlets. His name is right across in the boldest letters on our shirts that we were wearing. And um, that's what it looked like, although they were denying that. Um, so it once we once we told our leaders that we're getting the door slammed in our face because of the whole Cali thing, um, okay, then don't wear the shirts. And so we didn't wear shirt, the shirts. We wore plain clothes. And then people, we, you know, we informed them, well, um, people don't really want to ask, answer the survey questions. So, you know, you know, okay, then, so they started take, they did take out those survey questions, even asking if they were Republican or Democrat. Um, so, but we were still told, focus on, like, you need to get data, data, data. So um, that's what we did. So, that's when it started getting weird as far as Yale was concerned because the con we had a contract, um, 11 a.m. to 8 p.m. We were starting meetings sometimes at 9.30, 10.30 a.m., um, and then sometimes we were working later, like they would want us to work till um, 8.30, or um, we have a meeting. One there was once when we had a meeting at midnight, and um, then people weren't getting gas cards. So we had, you know, a bunch of kids come in, um, and I don't mean to call them kids in the kids' sense, they're 18, 19 years old, uh, drive 
you know, far away, use all their money basically to get there, and they're buying food this whole time, and they don't have gas cards. They're using, you know, their own money when they weren't supposed to be, and it's not like these kids have savings accounts. So, you know, we're all pitching in money to help people pay for driving, and so people were getting a little bit upset, and that's when we were told, you know, um, we're going to put our foot down. We're going to make sure things happen. We're going to not going to let the, let, you know, the contract any more contract breaking happen. We're going to get your gas cards. They would always say tomorrow, tomorrow, mm. first thing in the morning. And it was never first thing in the morning. It took, you know, um, it was probably about a week and a half for, or maybe a week before people got their gas cards. And mind you, we had to drive all the way down to Detroit and around, which is four hours. Um, and people were told that they were going to be getting visa gift cards. And a good reason for that was because of people using their own money. to So that way, instead of just, uh, being able to buy gas, they could buy themselves food and like reimburse themselves for the gas that they paid for. And they got gas Speedway gas cards. And um, that was kind of weird because there's there wasn't as many Speedways as there are locations that will take a Visa gift card. So people were kind of discouraged about that. Um, so at, at this point, were you what was going through your head? Were, were the suspicions starting to kind of coalesce or were you still maintaining optimism? Kind of both. Um, I was getting worried about what we were actually doing, but at the same time, I am very passionate about that issue and spreading liberty. And I thought, you know, um, for the first time in probably my 10 years of libertarian activism, I thought it's time to play the game. Hmm. and use Callie's money and get his data in order, you know, kind of ends justify the means or the means justify the end kind of thing. And, um, but at this point I started gaining a little bit of distrust for Yale leadership because everything, every time anybody had a concern, it was, yeah, you know what? We agree with you. We're going to fix it right now. And they, um, it, it just seemed like they had the same concerns we did, but they were held by the bounds of um, the camp, actual campaign leadership, which was um, uh, Michael Stroud, who Straub, who worked on Rand Paul's campaign. And so the, when they, you know, deflect to him, I still trusted that because even though Rand Paul is a little bit more establishment than Ron Paul, um, you know, I trust people that he would hire to work for him. So it started getting like, oh, man, this is getting kind of sketchy, but look at the bigger picture. So that's, you know, kind of what we did. Um, and But then once, you know, once we're done with the Downriver area, um, we got kind of moved to almost inner city Detroit. Um, if anybody knows anything about Detroit, there was, um, we got to around the intersection of Joy Road and Six Mile, which is one of the most ghetto areas of Detroit. I mean, <laughs> abandoned houses. Um, there's, I mean, you can't even go into the gas station in without, you know, five inches of bulletproof glass. So it was kind of, uh, kind of scary. So um, that was, but you know, who cares about that? We're still going to get this done. We didn't really care about that. What we were really getting concerned about is the fact that we weren't allowed to go to public areas in Canvas. We are in Detroit. We can go downtown Detroit. There's plenty of areas where it's heavily trafficked. We can get a lot of signatures. And we were told, no, we have to do um, the door-to-door -door canvassing and get the data. And the problem with that is, is we're starting at 11 a.m. And until about 4 p.m., people aren't home. 
people aren't home to answer their door. Uh, there was a point where uh, we're walking an entire walkbook, which would have 60, 70 houses on it, and nobody would answer the door because nobody was home. And when you just spent two hours doing that and you're getting told, oh, you need, you need more signatures and more signatures, how are we supposed to get more signatures? We can't because nobody's home, so let us do public spaces. And we're told, no, there's a bigger picture going on. We need to do the walk books. And um, it was it was getting really discouraging. And, you know, it's it, it was the hottest week in, in June. It's 95 degrees almost every day, and it's muggy and humid, and we're walking. And, um, you know, and that wouldn't even matter if at least people were home because that would at least provide a little bit of encouragement. But nobody's home. Um, and instead of addressing that issue and putting us in public spaces, we were instructed to start showing a um, video. It was about a minute long of Lieutenant Governor Kelly pushing the initiative. And it it was super cringy. And we all really made fun of it because it was um, his a close up of his face just talking about this. And, you know, if anybody's really concerned, about the issue, they don't make it about themselves. I learned that early on in 2008 with Ron Paul. You know, he made it about the message, not the messenger. And that's what I've always learned in liberty politics. We don't make it about people. We make it about the movement. And so that was just absolutely ridiculous. Um, so I, I personally didn't show the video because I didn't want to. <laughs> and I'm not going to help on his PR. I'm just trying to collect signatures. Um, and then uh, it got to be really concerning when we had, this was about two and a half weeks in, there was a mess up with one of the field directors putting in uh, signature numbers in a spreadsheet. So they asked people um, if they wanted to volunteer. And I have, I have no problem um, working late or volunteering or anything just because, you know, I've I haven't even worked on many paid campaigns. Most of them are volunteer work. So I volunteered along with about seven people all together. And we were counting signatures um, from each person for each day. And uh, my group was kind of the slower group, but we had more days to count. So um, there was about four, there was four of us in the room towards the end when another person pointed out and showed me that, um, look at these signatures. Don't they look weird? And I looked and every single address on the sheet was in the exact same handwriting. Um, and I thought that was weird. And then I looked at the, the cause you know, a petition has a signature, printed name, address, so forth. Um, and it has the dates, all the dates look like all the numbers look the same. Um, the, the handwriting for the printed name kind of looked um, like someone was trying to not make it look the same. And the signatures, uh, certain letters of the signatures matched um, what was the person that was circulating it signed it as. And um, the, of course, this person would have the name of where of people who lived in these houses because we had the data ourselves. So um, that was really weird. And we've noticed a pattern with this same person because they were getting multiple, like more signatures than everybody else. And like, how are you doing that when you're doing walkbooks? And, you know, so we already had a suspicion, but when we looked at that, it was absolutely insane. We brought that sheet um, to our, our regional director who was in the room 
and showed him and said, look at this. What do you think? We didn't even say this looks like it could be forged. We just asked him what he thought. And he said, oh, my God, those are forged. And he asked us to pull all of that person's sheets from all the days and go through them one by one and point out like what would what looks fishy. And on some of them, what I found was really fishy is I just had a hunch and I Googled some of the addresses and they weren't real addresses. <laughs> and um, I was thinking, you know, what the heck is going on? So we gave all this information. He's going through signatures with us, our, our leader. And he immediately called Justin Grace and said, we have forged signatures. And it is, it's definitely like, it's definitely forged signatures. And we couldn't, you know, we couldn't hear the other side of the phone call, but um, it seemed as if it was told to him, um, you know, just pull those ones out because that's what he told us right after he got the phone, like pull those signatures out. So we did. And um, then they, when they did a final vote count, um, they, cause they emailed us uh, signature tallies. Those signatures were still in there. They, sing they still put those signatures in there. So that was really, really sketchy. And, you know, um, we brought the concerns, the four of us, um, to the leader and said, why are, you know, what's going on? What's going on with this? And he said it's being taken care of in-house and then told us, do not say anything to anyone, not even other campaign staff, or you will all be fired. And if I, you know, if I hear um, rumors of it, all of you will be fired. And so it was really, really sketchy because in any other campaign that I've worked on, um, there, if there had been concerns before about people forwarding signatures. And even if there was just a concern, not even a, um, like a for sure, if it was just a concern, they weren't collecting anymore. They weren't a part of the campaign anymore because it's just too detrimental to the campaign to have. So that was just extra weird. And the next morning is when, um, the direct, the, our field director told our whole team, the team of like 25, 30 of us, that they found Ford signatures and they for sure found them legal confirmed and they need the person to step forward or else they're going to be prosecuted. And of course, nobody stepped forward. And um, we thought, you know what, let's give them time to figure this out. And, and we couldn't say anything to anybody because we feared for our jobs. And we, you know, talked about it amongst the group of four of us, which mind you, this group of four of us, we weren't necessarily like the close friends on the campaign. We were just, we all volunteered. We all happened to be, you know, there at the same time. So it, um, you know, it wasn't like we were, oh, let's, you know, um, collude or whatever against this person. It was, you know, it was all confirmed by leadership that this is what was happening. So um, around that time is when an article came out questioning uh, the validity of the petition because of the wording of it. And so when people had concerns, that's when Grace, Grace personally reached out and said, um, no, it's been approved and it's, it's all fine. And it's, it's going to be, it's going to be okay. It's been approved. And so, okay, we'll push that away. Um, about two or three days later, everyone was sent a mass text saying that there was going to be a mandatory meeting at 8:30 PM. And again, we've had meetings that, you know, late and we just, okay, we're going to have a meeting. Um, and we're all in the lobby of this hotel and 
nobody knows what's going on because it's it gets past 8 30 gets past 8 45 and our three regional field directors are running around the hotel um looking like chickens their heads cut off like wondering like we're wondering okay they look distressed we should be distressed and about nine o'clock we were told that we were going to be split into groups and we would be individually texted to come to a certain hotel room and um a little while after that 20 30 minutes later the first group was called in and um, we watched who was going into that group and we would just assumed, you know, they, there's just too many of us. They're going to talk to us, you, you know, we're going to have group meetings, but it was weird that they weren't doing it, um, in the teams that we were in. Cause we had teams of 25, 30. So that was kind of weird. We were all kind of stressing out about that. And then that's when people who were in the room started texting people from outside of the room that they had all just been fired. And I mean, I was in shock because the people that some of the people that were going into that room um, were great people. They, they were getting high numbers. They were, they weren't the ones asking questions. Um, They weren't the ones even, you know, they were laid back, passive. um, Yes. Men, you know, if, if if you want to put a label on it, you know, they, it was just really shocking. And so it made the rest of us like, Oh my gosh, what's about to happen. And then there was the second meeting, which was the very top performers. And, that's when we watched the person forging signatures was called into that meeting and um, it was disgusting. The other meeting was just the, you know, um, regular performers. Um, And it was just, I just couldn't believe it. Um, I was so disgusted, especially when like a few of the people I got close to on the campaign who were on my team, like on my driving team were the ones fired. And I was really just just really in shock. And I go up to my hotel room immediately to go check on because um, we roomed together, our teams roomed together. I went and checked on the pers- one of the people who got fired, who is a 19 year old from New Mexico and had just gotten there like a week before because he, he came late in the program and his numbers climbed every day and he had good numbers and he was optimistic and and cheery and I went in there and I said are you okay and he immediately started crying and um it's not often you see you know a man cry and um I hugged him and told him it's, it's going to be okay it's going to be okay and he's like no I quit my job for this I I've never done anything in politics and this was I was you know this was going to be my start this was going to be you know um I was I was really excited and I don't know what I did wrong and he said you know, and I'll never forget. He said, I'm never doing anything in politics again. And, um, it literally it made me cry because I was 18 when I got into the Liberty movement and I was lucky enough that it was in 2008 and I had Ron Paul and I volunteered for his campaign and it went really well. And even though we lost, um, I felt optimistic the entire time and to watch someone whose position I was once in lose that passion was just so disheartening that, you know, I, I could feel his pain. If that were me, I probably, and I was 18, 19 years old, and that happened to me in my first time, I probably would want to leave politics too. And we can't afford that. We can't afford to disenfranchise, especially the Liberty youth, because a lot of the youth are liberals. And, you know, we have these people who are intelligent and care, care enough to quit their job and drive 27 hours. He's from New Mexico, drove 27 hours to get there. And um, it was just, I cannot believe this. And I was ready to quit right then and there. And so then, 
What was the reason? Did he tell you why he was fired? What was the justification? They were given a general, um, they were all given the same uh, underperformance, which didn't make sense because we got emailed everybody's numbers every week. And there were people who were not fired who were um, way lower than him and other people that were fired. And so that's why he was wondering, like, why? Well, I don't get it. I don't get it. And um, it was, you know, it just didn't make any sense. Um, I wanted to quit, like I said, right then and there. I was just like, I'm done. I can't be a part of this anymore. This is the last straw. But then I thought, you know what? Let me, um, we got told that, I got an email right around when I started thinking that, that we were going to have a conference call with Justin Grace in the morning to kind of explain what's going on. So I thought, you know what? I'll at least hear this out. And, um, you know, we, everybody that was fired were told um, you had to leave the hotel by 11 a.m., and mind you, they got fired at like 10 p.m. the night before. So um, we're most of us were trying to help um, people make arrangements, um, loaning money to help people get home, and um, it was it was just um, it was a nightmare the night before. But let's you know, I thought let's just at least hear what they have to say before I make my decision. And the next morning, as people are being shooed out of the hotel. We get told, okay, it's time for the conference call. We all call in, and Justin Grice, without any empathy in his tone at all, said, by now I'm sure you guys all know what happened, and um, you should understand why this happened, because we're all free market capitalists, right? And you wouldn't want to pay for underperformance. And I, I could not believe what I was hearing. And yes, I am a free market capitalist. I'm also a human, though. Uh, um, so... I, I couldn't believe it, and I, I just kept listening. And then he also he mentioned some people that got fired were considered to be insubordinate because they kept asking they had asking too many questions. And um, that's when he's like, I I don't want I hate using military analogies, but I will now. We are the officers. You are the soldiers. You listen to what we say. And I was just oh my gosh, what is going like what is going through his head to be saying this to this kind of group of people and then he's and then he said and subordination would not be tolerated um he said i will not have inmates running the asylum this is the and, president of yale no this is the mobilization director okay, justin okay. gray um and again he takes but he takes his direction from the pre president of yale <laughs> mm -hmm. um, so he's telling us all like all this and i like I, out of anger and frustration and still sadness from what happened the night before, I just, I, I, start, I was like crying. I had like tears in my eyes and I, I hung up the phone. I didn't even hear the rest of it. I hung up the phone and I walked away and I sat by myself and thought for a minute about what I was going to do. And I thought I'm, I, I'm done. I'm going to, I have to quit because I cannot stand by while they fired good people, lied, lied to us about why they fired him. We still don't know the reasons exactly why, because they, like I said, a few people um, that did have high numbers that were fired were not insubordinate in any way. They were, um, you know, they had positive attitudes. They listened. If anything, I was one of the most um, insubordinate people because I was, um, I was very, I questioned everything that they told us to do. 
I brought my concerns publicly, like we had a Facebook group chat and I was very public about my concerns, um, often being told to talk to your leaders in private. Um, and so since, why since I... when is uh, asking questions insubordination? I mean, exactly. that that's insubordination is not following rules or orders, but you're it's just asking questions. If if you have a problem with inquisitive minds, libertarians probably being some of the most what's the word inquisitive people, uh, then yeah, something certainly f very fishy going on. Yes, that's exactly, you know, um, what we were all thinking, like, this is the wrong group to call soldiers and that you're the officer, <laughs> right? Are you serious? And you're going to think of me as an inmate running the asylum. And, um, and again, I, then I should have been fired because I was the most vocal person against, um, everything that we were doing. And, calling things out as I saw them. I'm a very blunt um, person and I do not like secrecy. And I was, you know, um, I, I was never in any kind of trouble. Um, another big part of it is my numbers were lower than some of the people, but I was also out for two days because I, strep throat ran through pretty much the entire campaign. And um, I mean, it just got spread like wildfire. And I had a particular, particularly bad case because um, my entire face and throat swelled up so bad that I could, I didn't have a voice. I couldn't talk. So um, I was lucky enough to not have to work for two days while other people still had to work with their strep throat. Um, so my numbers, if it, when we were asked, you know, some leaders, um, why were certain people like, I don't get it. Like, why were those people? And they were told, that it was the campaign managers that made the decision based on numbers. They didn't think about anything else. It was based on numbers. And, um, well, if it was numbers, then why wasn't I fired? Because if they didn't know any background information, why wasn't I fired? And then when Grice is saying it's insubordination, um, again, why wasn't I fired? And other people are. And nobody had an answer. Um, I went through my day. Um, we still had to go out and work. And I, you know, went through and door to door for about an hour and a half. And then I decided, you know what? No, I am completely done. I'm going to buy a plane ticket right now before I keep thinking about this. And so without talking to anybody, without um, telling any of my friends that I had made there, I booked a plane ticket and booked an alternative hotel for the few days that I had to be there before my flight. Um, and after that was done, um, it was, it was amazing because like five minutes later, that's when I got a text from our field director saying that we're doing performance reviews, which I thought was really funny because why didn't you do performance reviews, you know, before you fired people? But um, they, he wanted to meet up with my team um, and that's when, you know, he had private meetings with us and he said, oh, you know, I just want to let you know that you're doing great. You have great numbers. You have a great attitude. Just, um, well, um that was kind of funny to me because, like, again, I was very vocal about my disdain for what we were doing. And uh, he asked me if I had any feedback. And I told him, yes, I bought a plane ticket and I have to go. And he didn't even look surprised because he, he got to know me, know me throughout the process. And um, he, I, I told him why. I said, you know, the, the signature thing being covered up and the, her, that person not being fired. Um, the way people were fired, the way that they were kicked out of the hotel, um, the way Grice just completely, 
you know, um, stood behind that decision without any any concern for what was going to happen to these kids. Um, I cannot ethically stay. You know, I have principles, and I have I've had in the back of my mind that this was wrong for a while, and but I just kept pushing it back, and I just I have to go. And you know, he told me that he agreed with everything that I said, and. He um, he gave me a hug and said that he respected me and that he respected what I was doing. And, um, you know, I told him about, that I was I had already had a hotel booked and everything and that I would go back to the hotel and get my things. I told him I'd even finish out the day collecting signatures because I believe in the initiative. And then that's when I told another person on my team that I had quit. And she was a very top performer. She was like the fifth highest performer um, in the entire program. And she said, funny enough, I just quit. I quit, too. I already bought a plane ticket, too. And uh, I was I was just, uh, that was like the first time that I felt, finally, someone here has principles, too. And, um, you know, we talked about it. We both finished out the day. We go back, and we find out that the very, very top performer, the number one performer, also quit for the same reason. And there was 15 of us in total. And um, so that was kind of nice to hear. However, what the very top performer got approached by one of the regional directors who wasn't even our, on our team and offered him $500 cash and reimbursement for his plane ticket to stay. And he, of course, said, absolutely not. I'm leaving because of my principles. Like, that, that means you cannot buy me. And so he, you know, he also left. Well, I had to be, I had to stay in Michigan for two extra days because of my flight I was in a different hotel and everything. And, and when he, you know, my regional director hugged me and told me he respected me. I didn't think that we, you know, had a problem. I did not talk to anybody about that, that I quit. I didn't even tell anybody that I quit. Um, besides the people who had told me that they quit. And so, you know, um, I, cause I didn't want to, I didn't want to cause a disruption or be, um, you know, be accused of, you know, colluding or anything to get people to quit. Cause I, d I didn't want to do that. If, if it's your, if you're quitting on principles, that's a decision you make on your own. You don't shouldn't have someone talk to you about it. So I didn't talk to anybody about it. Went and stayed at my hotel and the next day was everybody's day off on the campaign. So I went back to the hotel, um, at, to, to say goodbye to, to people and, um, you know, kind of hang out with them before I left. The first person I saw when I walked in was that same regional director who hugged me and, um, you know, we, we chatted and you made some jokes and I went up and hung out with people and one of his relatives was working on the campaign and I became very close with this person. She was one of my really good friends on the campaign and I was in, um, her hotel room and just chatting. I wasn't even talking about, you know, any of this. Um, and her brother, um, oh, I didn't really mean to give that relation away, but, um, he came in, uh, he called and I'm pretty sure asked if I was there because she told me to go into the bathroom real quick. So I went to the bathroom and then he walks in two seconds later and said, um, has Kristen been in here? Has she talked to you? And she said, uh, no, not yet. And that's when I heard him say that Kristen is going around lying to everybody about this campaign and trying to get them to quit. And I could not believe my ears, the same person who told me he respected me and agreed with my decision and told me that, you know, um, we hope, hope to stay friends and was fine that I was there, was just saying this. 
Um, she must have gave it away with her looks because he came into the bathroom, saw me, and was so mad, threatened to fire her, his own relative, and then told me if I didn't leave that they were going to call the police for trespassing. I'm trespassing. And, you know, because that's exactly how libertarians handle things, you know, by calling in authorities. Um, so I, I was just, okay, I am so... I, so now I, I can't trust anything that anybody in leadership has told me, even the people that I thought maybe they were duped to. I couldn't believe anybody. And um, I just, I went back to my hotel and I sent my non-disclosure, I sent my entire contract over to, um, I have my own personal lawyer, um, sent that over to him. And he kind of like made a joke and said, who wrote this? And you know, and I told him, I was like, I don't even know. And he's like, well, this is not even a non-disclosure. Um, informed me about, you know, it says specifically not until May 30th. Because they threatened all of us. They, all the people that quit and all the people that were fired. If we said anything to anybody, we would be sued. So that's why I, you know, consulted my lawyer. And then also he informed me because of the Ford signatures that unless you want to be implicated, if this comes out, um, you need to report this. Uh, because obviously nobody else has. And I thought... Um, wow, why haven't I done this yet? So I reported it to the Michigan State Police and the Secretary of State. And um, then that's when I was also told by my lawyer that um, not only is this not even a real NDA, but you are covered by whistleblower laws. And you were from the, from the time that you talked to your employer about you, when you presented this to your employer because um, you tried to report it and they didn't do anything about it. So uh, it's, you're completely fine. Don't worry about lawsuits. Um, I'm still um, still being threatened that way, um, but again, I have a lawyer. So um, that was basically um, the catalyst to me being, you know, I can't keep this secret because I can't let this continue. I can't let them continue to disenfranchise youth once I kind of said something about um, anything on Facebook. I got messages from other people who I trust very much. I've worked with them in the Liberty Movement for a while that were a part of Yao up until a few years ago when Cliff Maloney took over because it got corrupt. And that's when I heard, I, I have about three or four personal accounts of the same kind of thing happening on different campaigns, including the Rand Paul primary campaign. And so that's when I really decided I am going to completely come forward and um, I talked to a few other people that were on the campaign and asked if they would do the same thing. They were worried about the um, NDA and the contract. So um, I, you know, informed them, like, talk to a lawyer if you don't believe me. And they've got the same information and also came forward, too. And um, that's kind of where we're at. It's, you know, um, we're trying to get it out there, not because we're, um, against the in initiative, not because we're, you know, um, trying to retaliate. I have nothing to retaliate for. I wasn't fired. Um, it was because of, you know, um, basically how bad it was. And once they found out, it, I thought it was very coincidental because the very next day after I reported everything to the Secretary of State and Police, the entire campaign shut down. They completely shut down the field rep program and everybody was let go. And they were told it was because um, the petition didn't get approved, which, well, didn't Grace just tell us a few days ago that it did? And yeah, hilarious. Uh, other, yeah, yeah. And then people were told it was because we weren't being effective and they were just going to do um, 
they were going to mail people a petition to sign and mail back, which um, I don't know how that is going to get them 350,000 signatures, so that didn't make sense. Other people were told it was because um, Attorney General Schutte, who is who is also a Republican but running against Cali, um for the Republican primary, um, that he shut it down, which if you can, you simply Google part-time legislature and shooty, you see that he is a hundred percent behind the initiative. So why would he shut it down? Um, I just found it very coincidental that it was shut down the day after I reported everything. So kind of where we're at right now. Wow. What a story. So this kind of, kind of reminds me of the very recent, uh, CNN, uh, I don't want to use the word muckraking because it's not. It's the truth. It's investigative journalism. Uh, and actually, I uh, came into acquaintance with you through a, a mutual friend, Michael Kirk, who seems to be doing kind of that same sort of stuff. It, he's found a lot of people. He told me uh, about 80 people who have similar stories of experiences at Yale. So at this point, even even without, you know, hardcore, uh, you know, red-handed evidence, in my mind, the when you're dealing with uh, people who report to the president and the president himself, uh, that has shaken the the credibility and the reputation so much in my mind that I have, just based on hearing your story, uh, basically no faith whatsoever in the organization. And it, to me, it's no stretch of the imagination to, you know, where your mind wanders. You know, this this has got to be some kind of political hack organization, you know, we all know why people are interested in politics because it's such a huge uh, payoff. It's one of the best investments you can make if you have no soul. So, you know, there's very little doubt in my mind that that's kind of the tool or the front that Yell is. I mean, I, I don't claim to know the inner workings. I'm sure there's some good and decent people there, but um, I suppose I'm glad I never did get involved because, you know, who has time for this? Uh, but yeah, it, like you said in the beginning, I'm all for uh, raising the red flag. Uh, you know, young kids obviously need to put their energy towards actually changing hearts and minds instead of going around uh, wasting their lives for politicians. Uh, so that, that's that's very sad. But I, I certainly give you a lot of credit uh, for your courage for coming forward and sharing that, that very interesting and uh, disappointing story. Well. Thank you. Um, you know, it, to me, it, um, it wasn't, you know, anything to say anything about it because that's who I am. Um, but when I found, you know, when I came forward, I found out that like eight more people came forward willing to give their names, including the very top performer that, um, quit. And then from there, like 40 people altogether from this campaign came forward and um, I'm just, I'm very proud that these people were not duped and that they didn't um, fall in line with what they were, um, you know, threatened with, which was lawsuits. And it was, it, it, it was really um, encouraging to see that other people were willing to do the same thing. And, you know, um, Yao has kind of, in recent years, I, after doing some research, has been basically um, like Republican light. They are working on Republican campaigns and getting people to work on Republican campaigns under the guise of 
oh, well, um, we're going to lead them to liberty. We're going to, you know, they're, they're liberty-minded, but we're going to make them more liberty. I'm sorry, but you can't make an establishment politician, a career politician, more liberty, if, you know, when they're already being paid off. Um, that that I would rather elect new people who are already liberty, and that's what, you know, they've been doing. There's um, a lot of people on the campaign that are, you know, are in YAL that are pro-establishment. And I just, that's not liberty. And so when you have, when your name is literally Young Americans for Liberty, um, you have to stand behind those principles. And they, I feel, you know, the fact that they were threatening with lawsuits and that they um, were very secretive, that's not liberty. Yeah, I'm surprised they even had any expectation that you could get away with such a ridiculous level of uh, suspicious behavior, uh, downright lies, you know, thinly veiled lies, et cetera. Is it just, it's, uh, it's almost surprising, you know, what, what kind of people, how stupid do you think we are? But, um, a lot of people give me a hard time. I, I no longer vote, um, because I, I personally believe that the, the game of politics is, is kind of like a one step forward, two steps back thing. I, I respect people who, put in the hard work, uh, people like you, obviously, you know, that's, that speaks to your passion that you're willing to go, you know, door to door and, you know, make a difference to just improve liberty and the message of voluntary human interaction worldwide. I mean, that's what it's all about for us, but I, you know, the, it's so commonplace nowadays for, for these efforts to just slip through the cracks and end up being again, fodder for politicians. So I, I suppose in conclusion, um, what do you think? Do you think that Yale is a salvageable organization? Have you lost confidence in political activism in general? What do you think, you know, having learned from these experiences, has it changed your approach to spreading the philosophy? Um, where What's next on the dock for you? Um, well, I will never give up on political activism. I, um, I even tried deleting Facebook for like eight months and tried to get myself away from it, um, around election time. And I just can't because I don't just ever since I was 18 years old and heard Ron Paul speak, I, I don't, I don't know. It just like changed my inner chemistry and I will never give up. But again, I've had nothing but positive, you know, experiences. Um, you know, we, I've never actually been on a campaign um, that has won besides a couple local campaigns. So it's not about losing that disenfranchises me, but um, it's, I, I will always try to spread liberty no matter if it's um, through politics or through education and awareness. Um, you know, that's, I, that's what I do now. That's what I, that's what I will always do. That's what I want to do with the rest of my life. Um, so that will, that will never end for me as um, I will just no longer um, take any kind of secrecy. Uh, I will never trust anybody ag like that again. I, I can't. I, um, it has ruined my, um, my trust for liberty. My, you know, people that claim liberty, um, you know, I will never ever just trust anybody. And now I'm going to need full details. Um, as far as Yal goes, um, they could have, they had the, the potential to do something great in Michigan. And instead, disenfranchised at least half of the people that were there. And that's 50 people. That's 50 kids. That's, our, that's the, the future of the liberty movement, that they completely um, 
made feel like their efforts are no longer it, it, nothing they do will help. Um, so I think that there it, it is salvageable. However, that only comes with um, I think Cliff or Grice or both actually um, need to publicly apologize for getting people involved in this and for letting it happen the way that it did. And, you know, they claim that this isn't a YAL thing, but when everybody who is in leadership is YAL and the president himself and the director of mobilization is the one that is there getting us there and the ones that are with all the information, it's a YAL thing. We're not stupid. They need to, they need to apologize. They need to reach out to the people individually and say, you know what? We messed up, you know, man up. We're, we're, the Libertarian Party is the party of personal responsibility. If you mess up, you say so. You say, you know what? I messed up. Um, you know, I trusted the wrong people, and it won't happen again. Um, we will not um, be putting anybody in the situation again, and we can move forward. Um, if he doesn't, if they don't do that, then I think they need to step down. They need to let real liberty people run this organization because they have so many people already involved. They need to step down and they need to make the like pave the way for actual liberty leaders. And if neither of those things happen, then um, people need to look at alternative um, liberty groups. There's Students for Liberty. There are there's a campaign for liberty in multiple states. That you know there's there's other places for us that don't have the shady rep reputation that Yale has been continuously giving themselves. Well, you know what they say, sunlight is the best disinfectant for ideas. So that's what we're doing here is just trying to bring these things to light. Uh, so where could our listeners go? Is there a place for them to find out more information, to maybe find, do you have any content out there? Uh, or, or would you rather, you know, remain more or less, you know, anonymous? Well, I suppose your name's already out there, so you're not quite anonymous. Um, uh, and yeah, and the only reason why I... I I um, decided to use my name because it wasn't going to was because um, I wasn't fired. So I have people know that I'm not doing this out of retaliation and because um, I want to be seen, I, you know, I work on campaigns. That's what I do. I do social media management and campaign management for local and state campaigns. And I want people to, you know, I don't want to be associated with this. I want, you know, I don't want to be associated with the shadiness because I, you know, I've come forward. But as far as, me personally, the only thing that we really have out so far, because this is this has just happened. This just happened this week. Um, this well, this week. whole thing happened. This whole thing transpired like a week ago. Um, it all end. Yeah, it um, all ended about um, a week ago. Yes. Oh no way. <laughs> yep. Well, you heard it here happened. first, folks. <laughs> <laughs> this just happened. Um, this is the um, first um, time that the full story from like. My personal perspective, or the perspective of someone who wasn't fired, um, that uh, has been told. So, yep, heard it here first. But there is an article out on Liberty Conservative and um, LibertyConservative.com, I believe. And um, I think all you'd have to put in is Yale. It's one of their. They they just released the article yesterday. Um, but it has. There is some evidence there of Yao's involvement, um, like actual concrete evidence. Um, there's other people that came forward and, um, with, and they were willing to give their names too. So they're, you know, it's not just my account, it's multiple other people's. And it's amazing that 40 people came forward and every single one of us had the same story. 
So it's, you know, um, it's not, you know, anything against YAL as an organization. It's against the two leaders that totally messed this up for everybody and have messed things up for the Liberty Movement many times. So that is out there as of yesterday, and I'm sure there's going to be much more to come as more people are coming forward and um, more people even in Yao mm-hmm. leadership are coming forward. So, All right. Well, and to your last point, you know, I, I don't want to unfairly characterize anybody. Like I said, you know, I'm sure Yao does some great things. I'm sure there are some great people in there. But, you know, hearing something like this uh, with this scope, you know, really shakes my confidence. I, I personally stay away from organizations like this. I, I stick with the hardcore like FEE and uh, Mises Institute. But anyways, that's just my personal preference. But anyways, folks, uh, like I said, you heard it here first, Flagship Freedom. Thank you so much, Kristen Jones, for joining us. And until next time, we'll catch you later.